Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I talked to John Dykstra from the Fat Stacks blog. And if you've listened to the show a few times, actually, if you've listened to a lot of the episodes, you probably know that John is a frequent guest on the show because he's a friend of mine and he does some interesting stuff. This is actually a rebroadcast from episode 77. So it's been like 80 episodes. It's been quite a while. And I wanted to rerun this episode because it was awesome and give you a few updates. So the cool thing with John is he has income reports, pretty detailed income reports on his blog. And I'll put links in the description so that you can get to it. The thing is, you know, I talked to John a while back and every now and then people are are thinking, hey, sure, that person had like a banner month, but I bet, you know, after COVID-19, I bet their traffic is down or maybe their earnings are down. Maybe it was a flash in the pan, basically. The thing is, John's most recent income report, which it looks like he hasn't done May of 2020 yet, but April of 2020 is published and he earned $37,000 with seven niche sites and that is the net revenue. So that is after expenses. That's a key thing John does share. He tells us the expenses. I know this happens a lot with drop shipping where people just say, Hey, yeah, we're making, you know, $10 million a year, but they don't tell you that they have a huge staff and all the the goods are expensive. And that was a bad example. Cause even if, even if the margins are lower, I mean, if you're selling $10 million worth of stuff, you're probably making some good money. But the point is sometimes people say, Hey, you know, in, in three months we brought in $200,000, but they don't mention that it cost uh, you know, $180,000 for goods and advertising and all that stuff. The point is here, John, John has consistently been pulling in, you know, 35 to 40,000 over the last, gosh, I'm, I haven't read all the income reports, but for quite a while. So it's consistent. And this guy, this guy's awesome. So this interview goes through many different areas and John primarily focuses on ad-based sites where I typically focus on affiliate sites, although I'm sort of blending and talking a lot more about display ads and just different monetization in general. So definitely check out John's income reports and he has a series of courses and I'll just mention one right now because people ask about Pinterest traffic all the time and I I never I never cracked the nut with Pinterest. I was able to grow traffic from, you know, very low traffic from Pinterest to, you know, maybe three times that, but it was so low, such a small amount of my traffic that it never really panned out for me. And the reason why I want to mention this course is because John really crushed it, really crushed it. So his site, or at least the case study, I think he ended up with let me look at the actual numbers here so I can quote it properly. He grew Pinterest traffic from 74,000 per month to 300,000 visits per month in 12 weeks. Those are great results. John shares everything in the course. He doesn't, I guess his goal is not to get all his traffic from Pinterest or anything like that, but rather to use Pinterest to complement his SEO traffic and to not rely so much on Google. This is especially important for brand new sites because a brand new site is probably not going to get much traffic from Google for a little while, maybe several months. And if you can get traffic from other sources like Pinterest, you can start getting a little traffic and earn a little money sooner than having to wait for SEO traffic. After the interview, I'll let you know about a few upcoming episodes and I will actually talk about a few more of John's courses. So thanks to John over at Fat Sacks, and we'll send it to the interview now. Hey, what's going on? Doug Cunnington here for The Doug Show, and I'm with my friend, John Dykstra. How are you today? I'm doing real well, Doug. 
Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. And this this is really cool. I've read your stuff for a long time, and I think we have exchanged some emails and stuff, but it's the first time face-to-face via Skype. So it's a pleasure to talk to you, and I know the audience is really excited. I got a few questions in, and yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to get rolling here. So for the people that don't know you, John, can you give a little intro about what you do now? And then we'll, we'll dive into your origin story in a second. But what are you up to these days? Yeah, these days um, I'm publishing a number of sites. I, I fashion myself as an online publisher and mostly niche sites, really uh, topical uh, I have nine right now, if you include the Fatstacks site. And I just work on them, and they're content-oriented, really. They monetize with display ads, some affiliate stuff, and that's pretty much it. And uh, I tend to focus on a few rather than all. I'm kicking a few along. It's uh, use a few for testing purposes, but that's about it. I'm just hoping to grow them out. Cool. And on Fat Stacks, you write about like your online journey and working online in general. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Tutorials, what I'm doing, how I do it, uh, pertaining to the other the other eight niche sites. Right on. Okay, cool. And what's your what's your background um, before you got into the online world here? Yeah, I used to practice law and uh, actually enjoyed that uh, and. I was with a smaller firm that needed a website way back in 05. So I was tasked with getting a website, got a company to do it all. And they're, they're like, you know, you should, you should try blogging. That might be good for some traffic and readers and getting some clients. I had no idea. So I thought, oh, sure, okay. I, I did it. I had no idea. And uh, they were right. It worked really, really well. And, and keep in mind, I mean, there was almost no competition back then, so it was it was good. The SEO worked out really, really well. So I started blogging um, just weekends, a few blog posts a month, and uh, uh, prospective clients liked it. They came in, I mean, and uh, grew a practice pretty good. And it turned out I liked blogging more than law, so <laughs> I, uh, I moved in that direction. And uh, at some point, I had to decide, uh, I could do them both was got, got to be difficult. So I, I jumped shit in the full-time blogging and have a look back. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. And, and let me, let me make sure I got the timeline, right? So in around 2005, you were starting to like dabble in blogging, but it was for the law practice. Yeah, that's correct. I, I did that for a number of years, quite a while until uh, 2012. Okay. And, and were you doing the actual blogging and stuff yeah i i didn't outsource anything i mean you know when you're writing about law in a, in a particular jurisdiction i mean it's got to be it's got to be technically correct right and, and so that, that was all me i i really enjoyed doing it and uh so yeah i spent the time writing it all up so when you got i mean you you enjoyed your other job which is rare that's super weird actually because most everyone <laughs> that i worked with they hated it, you know. Even even the people that said they enjoyed it, like they hated, they hated it. So, um, how did you decide to like stop practicing law and move into the you know online area? Well, uh, yeah, law, law was fun. I did criminal defense work and uh, other litigation, so it's exciting. It's very exciting, and I miss I miss some of it. You know, I, I worked with my dad, which was just fantastic. I really enjoyed that, and I miss the clients. You know, you, you know, get to help people, and so I miss that. But uh, there are things you don't like, like uh, you don't really have control over your life. It's uh, trials are, are you know very time consuming. Um, all-consuming, really, and uh, and it's, it's more stressful, frankly. Um, I mean, you've got, you know, you're dealing with criminal matters. It's it's pretty serious stuff, and uh, flexibility, um, vacation, that sort of thing. Um, really, really being more of a full-time website publisher, it, you get a lot more flexibility in your life, and uh, that was something I really wanted. So. Uh, yeah, it wasn't an easy decision. I can tell you that because I, I really did enjoy it, and uh, but ultimately this is what I decided. I don't regret it. I'm I'm very happy with what I do now, so uh, I carry on. But uh, it is nice having that ticket, uh, you know, a back a backup plan, a plan B if ever necessary. So you, you know, um, yeah, it's it's good to have a backup plan. 
Right, right. And I think, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I was not a lawyer, but I had like a, a professional career and I was doing that for about 10 years. So I, I can go back if I need to. And it, it, it is nice to have like, you know, to understand what it's like to work in a corporate job or a professional, um, you know, career like a lawyer. So versus like if we just got out of high school and started doing this, like I I don't think I'd be able to operate (laughs) very well um, and just like execute like I understand. So um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that or? Well, uh, not really. I mean, I think having a ticket of some sort is a nice backup plan. I mean, let's face it, this this is in a way a risky business. I mean, there are a lot of factors beyond our control, and, and a lot of us talk about that regularly. I mean, we rely on Google for traffic. We, we all, a lot of us, relied on Facebook once upon a time until that party ended abruptly. Um, Pinterest, you know, I and mean, we don't really have a lot of control over these things. We do the best we can. So there are risks built in. Uh, we do our best to minimize them. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's happened to other people and other businesses have, have closed. I mean, it's just, that's the way it is. But, I mean, if you look at a broader too, I mean, jobs aren't, you're not bulletproof in a job. You're not bulletproof for the brick and mortar business. It all has risk. And, uh, you know, I, I think for me, I'm, I'm well aware of it. Um, you could try to diversify and, and it's possible, but, and I, I do a little bit, but, yeah, I mean, I'm just aware of it. So when you say having a backup plan, I, I think I think it's good. I, I, I like the fact that I that I do. So right on. Yeah. So actually, that's a great segue, and I actually I enjoy just like talking to, and getting to know people. So we're gonna circle back later with more like personal stuff and just you know random things that I want to ask you about, but. A lot of people want to know about like your portfolio of sites. You mentioned you primarily like publish a lot of content. You have ads on most of your sites. So you have about eight sites. Can you just tell us a little bit about like the ad based, uh, I guess, what word am I looking for? Business model, the ad based business model here and why you ended up there versus some other area. Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, um, for the first half, I would say, of being online here, I did all affiliate stuff uh, because I read constantly affiliates, you know, that's where the money is. And, you know, ads are a waste of money. It's pennies versus dollars. And, and I bought into it. And uh, I don't know, I started up a niche site at one point and doing the affiliate thing, hammering away and was going nowhere. And I thought, I did have an AdSense account. This is way back when AdSense was fairly easy to get. Um, so I just had one languishing and, and I decided, oh, I'll throw a few ads on there and just see what happens. And it was like, it, it, I mean, for relative to what the affiliate stuff was doing, it was amazing. And, and that was like right away, I just saw the potential of, of what ads could do for a site with traffic. So I completely shifted, and uh, I still do a fair amount of affiliate, but the, the display ads have definitely uh, exceeded the affiliate stuff. And so, yeah, I I shifted focus, and now pretty much every site I, I run, except for Fatstacks, is, is ad-supported. And uh, I, I like it, and I like it primarily because I love the flexibility coming back to flexibility again. I like flexibility in my life, and I like it for publishing too, because with affiliate stuff, if you want to make money with affiliate links, you have to publish a certain type of content, which we call buyer intent, and there needs to be an intent behind it uh, where somebody's going to look, click, and potentially buy. If you put a bunch of affiliate links on just some general informational stuff, your chance of generating any any clicks and and sales are very low. So, uh, But with that... It's, you can write on any topic you like, and I, I really like that. I like to be able to publish on just some random informational article that I find interesting or topic uh, that's related to the niche, and I can still monetize that. And that was really freeing. So that's that's that was a huge point, and I was able to really go after a lot of topics with almost no competition uh, or very little competition, and focus on publishing content. And know that that 
content would be monetized. And I'm not saying this each piece of content makes a fortune from ads. It doesn't, but it's in the aggregate. I'm able to publish more content. I'm able to go after more traffic. And so it's a, it's a higher traffic volume uh, model, but it, it's, for me, it's worked out very nicely. Yes. And I'll put links and stuff, but you do publish some income reports and just say for about uh, like the last several months, like what's the average profit from your portfolio of sites that you publish income reports on? It ranges from right now ranges about, I would say 30 to 45,000 us a month. Um, my expenses fluctuate a little bit and uh, obviously Revenue fluctuates, um, but yeah, that, that's the range we're talking about right now. Okay, excellent. I just want to give everyone like the scope of what we're talking about. So most people would say that serious money um, beyond like you know full time what most people are, are making like in general. So that's awesome. Congratulations, John. That's Thanks. really good. And the thing I want to do is sort of like focus in on sort of like one of the sites, of course will be uh, not revealed or anything like that. But one of the sites is sort of like the, the big, uh, the big guy, right? It's making most of the money. And what kind of traffic are you seeing on that site? That's approaching a million visitors a month. Um, right now. Yeah. So, and, and the page views are quite a bit higher. I get quite a few page views per visitor. Uh, so yeah, you say, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to focus with that intensity on more than one site. Uh, so, so it does get the lion's share of resources and my time. And I mean, I'd be dumb not to because that's the big earner. Uh, like you say, I've got a, I've got a friend and he's got the same thing. He owns a bunch of sites and he's got, he's got the big guys or the big guns. And then, you know, the, the little sites that you kick along and, and, I actually like having uh, some smaller sites for uh, right now I'm doing a bunch of ad testing. So if I want to test a different ad network or something, I got a handful of sites that together I'll get 10,000 page views a day or visitors. And, and that's enough I can test stuff without testing on, on, on the biggest earning sites. So that, that's actually a, a nice arrangement for me. So I'm currently doing some testing and um, which helps me, you know, gives me good information to write about on fat stacks. But uh, I do definitely focus time and uh, resources on, on one site for sure. And that was my dog, Georgie. Sorry about that. This is a very uh, casual situation. <laughs> so sometimes she helps us out here. And okay, so a ton of traffic and most of the money is made on that one site. You have the other sites, you could do some testing. That's fantastic. So like, I guess, can you tell us about like how old the site is, like how much content are you publishing, um, and some of the details as much as you could share. I know some of this is proprietary information, but as much as you could share on that. Sure. Uh, the site launched in February, 2014, and, uh, it's definitely had ups and downs. I'll tell you, uh, I, I used to be able, I used to, I, I kind of got to start buying Facebook traffic and building up a Facebook page with it and buying fans. I mean, uh, I think you've been around long enough to remember those days when Facebook was very effective at that. So that, that definitely helped get the ball rolling the first couple of years. Now Facebook is, there's no point in really using it. So, uh, I really focus on Google search, but so yeah, we're approaching, I'm approaching a little over five years now with that site. In terms of, there's about 3,300 articles on the site right now. I add one to three new ones a day. I slow a little bit down on the weekends. Uh, I've also in the last year or two been putting a lot of effort into updating older content. Um, let's say I've learned a lot since 2014 on uh, what's a, a good article and quality and what works within the niche. I've learned a lot about working within the niche and what doesn't work. So I'm going back and, and fixing up some of the older stuff. So, so that's the process right now. It's the volume I'm doing. It's, it's actually not a lot of volume. Uh, one to two or three articles a day new is, is nothing compared to a lot of sites out there, but um, they, they do take a lot of work. That, yeah, that's uh, alarming for some people and then other folks would think, hey, that's not so bad. And I, I take it at this point, you're not doing the writing yourself. You have some folks that help you out with writing. I do. I have uh, I use a variety of services, and uh, but I do write 
sometimes something. Uh, if I'm interested in a topic, I'll, I'll write it because um, I like writing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I rely mostly, I would say, the lion's share of the content is, is done with uh, other people helping out. Okay, gotcha. And it sounds like you hire services, you're not managing or like doing any HR for like writers <laughs> or whatever, right? No, no, I, I do use services. I have, a, I have a site manager that oversees a lot of it, and she's a huge help and really knows, she pretty much knows everything on the site. And then, uh, yeah, I, I tend to use agencies, uh, but I use a variety of them because I find that each one has, has pros and cons. So, like, I break it down to two different types of agencies. Okay, there's the agency, you're, and, uh, by agency I mean writing agency or writing service. So there's the one that you would hire, you pay them a bunch of money, and you order, let's say, 100,000 words for an order. And you give them your list of topics, and what they do is they will assign your work to one or two writers, and they will drip feed content. They'll say, we'll do a turnaround time of six weeks, but we'll be able to kick back you know, a few articles a week to you, and, and that's great. And so that model works for a lot of what I do because I, I don't publish everything in one day and, and not do anything for a month. We, I do it daily or every other day. So that's one type of agency. The other type is uh, something where you submit your, your project or writing task, and then you're basically submitting it to a huge pool of writers. All right, and then so you can you could literally submit a hundred thousand words, let's say broken up into fifty articles, and you can have them all picked up by twenty-five or maybe thirty different writers within a day or two, and they'll turn them around in a week. So you could literally get a hundred thousand words back to you in a week. So that's a different agency model, and they both have their advantages, right? Like sometimes I need something fast, and I don't want to interrupt the flow of, of the agency that drip feeds to me. So I'll use that. I'll submit the couple projects. They get it back to me in three days. Um, and then and then I have my main writing agency that just sort of continuously drip feeds articles to me, and then we get them published on the site. Perfect. That is a great explanation. And I've been in the same boat where like sometimes you, you're just in a little bit of a hurry, and other times you can you know, put it on autopilot and let things happen. So that makes total sense. Um, now just, it could be a very short answer, but like you, you're obviously working with agencies and or, you know, the services that can handle it versus hiring people on your own. And just the other day on YouTube, someone was like, Hey Doug, you're an idiot for paying that much for an article. Um, you could hire someone like a college student and um, manage them and train them and do all this stuff and get it for you know pennies on the dollar. So why don't you try to hire people at a cheaper rate? Because I don't like to manage. Okay. Straight up, I'll tell you that. I don't want to manage three or four. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I want to do it. And I think there are huge advantages. I think you might get better quality control. Um, but, uh, you know, my main writing agency that I use, I have a point person there who manages it. And it's not a perfect service, nothing will be, but uh, it helps me out a lot because I don't have to deal with that. And I don't want to manage two, three, four people at all. Um, so um, that's, that's principally why. Uh, in terms of then the other ones, the other types of writing services where I can get all the articles back in you know three, four days, uh, I tend to manage that, but that's more of a one-off situation. That's not something where I'm, I'm doing that every week where I'm submitting a, a huge order. So I try to keep my management to a minimum because I'm not, I'm not a good manager and I don't care to manage. Um, I have other areas that I like to focus on. So, so that's why I don't do that. Perfect. Great answer, John. Love it. Yeah. I said virtually the same thing. Um, I think I, I'm a pretty good manager, but, um, you know, there's so much other stuff to do in the world, like then try to wrangle a college students who don't give a shit about like what you're working on, you know? So, um, yeah, I was like, if I'm going on vacation, I can't babysit writers that are not professionals versus, um, I think we can mention the company. Um, I think we use the same one. I found them through you content development pros, right? Yeah. That's the one. That's the main outfit I'm using right now. Yeah. Yep. And like I, gave them thank you for the recommendation by the way like you've gotten some 
uh, affiliate commissions over there um, from me. But um, yeah, they've pushed out, while I was on vacation, they pushed out like 50 articles in about 30 days. And I, ha- I had my one VA, similar to you, I have some folks that are sort of in the inner circle and they took care of uh, everything while I was gone. I answered no questions, it was great. So, yeah. <laughs> I hear you, <ya. laughs> so that's how I use them too. For sure. So, um, yeah, I think people have to look at like what's important to them and what they like working on. If you really like hiring people from Upwork, um, that's crazy, but maybe you should open an agency. But if that if that's what you want to do, that's totally cool. So, okay, for let's hit some of the questions that were sent in by a couple of my students who are big fans of yours, um, a, lot of, a lot of common uh, folks. So this is from Graham and. He has a specific question here. So, okay. So if, if you had a site that's been penalized by a Google update and most of the traffic went away, what would you do? He had a couple like, you know, things that maybe he would try, but I'll just leave it open and uh, yeah, go ahead. I would probably bail on it, start something new, or buy buy an existing site. <laughs> Hopefully, it's not penalized. Uh, been there though. I, I I bought a domain. It was rotten to the core, and I didn't know it. So, been there. I bail on it. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess my my first question to that question is is I mean, have you already put like tons of time and money into it, or are you just it's kind of a new thing and you, you haven't gone too far down the rabbit hole? If that's the case, just just walk away and, and do something else. Gotcha. I, I don't know. See, I'm not a I'm not a real technical SEO, so I know there people seem to claim that they know how to do disavow with links and get sites unpenalized or out of the you know no more problems. I don't know how to do any of that. So, and I, I don't really care to learn. I don't. I I suspect they're very expensive to hire to do it for you. So I'm not sure that would be worth it. So I don't think I'd have a choice but to walk away. Okay, and again, good answer. I think. I think uh, I'll add in my some of my own thoughts here. Um, I think if it was a, like a a viable uh, a viable niche, like overall, potentially like grab that content, go to a new domain, like work it out. I think in the last um, like year or so, Google has been coming down harder on some of those. Uh, they call it the, your money or your life um, sort of topic. So if it's yeah. like health related or if it's like financially related, you may have trouble. It may take a long time to recover that. So unless you happen to be like a doctor or a financial advisor or something, I would probably like move on and pick something a little easier. So um, as far as like the disavowing and stuff, I have some experience like um, helping. I've had some stuff penalized, by the way. And at some point it's like, yeah, you just got to take what you learned, move on. So... Well, that said, let's let's move on to sort of a link building area. So I kind of have an idea what you may say for this, but what do you do for link building? Uh, aside from uh, the few experiment, experiment, uh, sorry, experiments or one-off testing and so forth, I don't do anything. Uh, I tend to focus on the content, uh, attract links rather than build them, and. Uh, well, it's, it's not that I have a moral issue with link building. I, mean, I don't think it's a moral issue whatsoever. I, it's a business decision for me. I, I tend to prefer to uh, hunt out low competition keywords and topics, publish good content, uh, put in some stuff in there that may attract links. I tend to find like uh, custom graphics and images can, can do well to attract links, frankly, because people rip them off and they'll give you a source link, uh, which is great. Uh, steal all the stuff you want off my site as long as you give me a link I'm happy about it so yeah that's that's what I do uh, I don't really do outreach uh, I don't you do guest posts but I do some exp- I run experiments here like I said I've got a bunch of sites and some of my uses guinea pigs I try stuff but that's really about it so yeah frankly nothing and can you talk a little bit more about like the content that attracts links um, you mentioned images and any other like tips maybe people could test out yeah, I think, um, well, I, 
I kind of came across this because I like linking out to good resources in my content that will help readers. So I find uh, like statistics or data or tables, charts, illustrations, um, a good photo. If you take a good photo for it or license one, uh, these are all things that other sites will use. Uh, on their site, they'll either just take it from you or ask you to use it. I've had print publications email me and ask to use various uh, media in in there for that to read. Now I don't get a link because it's print, but you know they, they usually will give some form of attribution, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, of course, great, thanks for asking. So you know, just uh, I don't know, get really technical stuff that's not covered elsewhere, and then different types of media will tend to do it. But I don't want to give the impression like, oh, if you put on two cool graphics on your website, the links are going to pour in because it's not going to happen. It's it's sort of a um, it, it's it's a big push, and it takes a lot of them, and some will work and some won't, and it takes a lot of content, and it takes a lot of time for other sites to find these. Uh, but what's interesting is it's almost kind of an exponential effect. As, as you do attract links over time, you attract more links at a faster rate because you're ranking more content, other publishers find you more easily, and they link to you. So it's, it's sort of this self-fulfilling cycle. So you just got to hang in there in the beginning. So, you know, don't go spend $5,000 on graphics and then expect, like, you know, in three months you're going to have all the traffic in the world because that's not going to happen. And, and I tried because I, I did commission an expensive infographic once upon a time thinking, oh, if I get this great infographic, I'll do all the outreach and I'll get, you know, 100 sites, we'll put it on their site. I mean, the results were terrible. And uh, the infographic was good. The results were terrible. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> yep. I I agree. Um, like I've I've actually tried the infographic stuff, and the thing is, uh, well, honestly, people like you and I will publish a case study, make it sound relatively easy, even though it may have been a few tries and a little more iteration out there. But you, if you give it a shot, and you know, you don't, you're not going to stick with it like for iterations, then may not work that well but you're right that exponential like link growth if it's like actually the keyword golden ratio is like super helpful for that because you could rank for some obscure term some sort of um like head shining gel for bald people or some kind of you know product <laughs> that you and i would look at and then um you rank number one because no one else is publishing anything. And then you get some links from that. And then, like you said, it's a self-fulfilling, you know, it just pushes everything else up. So very cool. Sure. And um, anything else from like an SEO standpoint, maybe on the content side, um, sounds like maybe you're mostly focusing on the keyword research and then like just a huge volume of, uh, I assume, pretty high quality content for the site. So any tips on on-page? Oh, you, you know, I don't get that all that technical about it. I uh, I use a lot of header, heading tags or header tags, uh, H2s, H3s, H4s. I like to structure. I'm actually pretty fanatical about how it's structured in terms of a lot of headings, proper use of subheadings, and then a table of contents at the top to tie it all together. Uh, so that works well for me. I use a lot of images as well, and I take the time to uh, write a really good alt text, uh, usually either a phrase or, or sometimes a full sentence in there. Uh, sometimes I caption, sometimes I don't. But, you know, all of these little things that I take. And this this adds up in terms of consuming time. This is what takes a long time. I mean, you add 15 images to an article and do all the alt text. I mean, that, that, that alone will take time, not to mention optimizing the images. But, yeah, I just try to structure it really well. I try to be thorough. I'm using uh, ClearScope right now. Uh, which basically analyzes, uh, you know, whether you've got all the proper keywords or phrases or so forth within the article. And uh, I started using them a few months ago, and uh, they're like Market Muse, but just not as much money. I think Market Muse is a fantastic product. I, 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 in fact, I I did use them for a while, and they're great. They're just very expensive. And you know, if you're if you're a Fortune 500 company, and their rate is obviously not going to you know, put a dent in you. But for, for me, it was, it was a bit hefty. So ClearScope does a really nice job, simple to use. Uh, so I've been using that. And actually what's nice is uh, the, I've, I've got the writers who use it too. You can add users. So 
pretty much all the content that's going out right now is getting run through ClearScope. And, and again, it, using ClearScope is not going to guarantee that, that you're going to rank for everything. It's just another step to take to sort of help things along. And uh, that's why I use it. I don't expect miracles from any one technique. Uh, you just sort of try to do the best you can in everything, and, and some stuff will work out. Gotcha. Yeah, good. I didn't even know about that tool, but yeah, Market Muse is quite expensive. I mean, it's really for, like you said, Fortune 500, 100, like big agencies or something like that. So, okay, cool. Now, uh, one other question around sort of the, the kind, actually, two. Uh, is there a certain length of content that you aim for, or it just depends on the topic? It really depends on the topic, but I would say I'm in the habit of 1,500 to 3,000 words. Okay, so generally long form most people would uh say okay very good yes. and then do you have a strategy you said you're going back and auditing some of your old content and you have a lot of content you said like over three thousand pieces of content so how are you handling that from like a sanity and system standpoint to actually get through it and like hit the most important stuff while you know ignoring the noise over here Right. Well, uh, I've learned a lot since then. So let's say a piece of content that was published three or four years ago. I probably didn't structure it with heading tags as well as I do now. So that's an easy fix. And uh, may not have a table of contents because I manually insert that in each article. So I could do that. Uh, I can run it through ClearScope, which has helped. It's a time-consuming process, but it'll help me figure out what additional topics I should add to the article. So I've been doing that. And one fairly easy uh, way to do this, I've been doing some uh, frequently asked questions, adding them into some articles, if it makes sense, if there's an angle for uh, uh, FAQ in there. So I'll add that. And um, yeah, really ClearScope has helped quite a bit. Even just looking at it, I mean, I, I know my niche is pretty well, so I can look at an article and be like, Okay, well, a year ago we started doing, you know, we've expanded how uh, how I outline articles and, and how, how deep we go into a topic. So I will look at some of the older stuff, say, well, you know, I, I miss this, this, and this, and that can easily be done. So that, that's that's what I do. Sometimes it's a 20-minute it's process. Sometimes it's almost like writing a whole article from scratch of how atrocious it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. Uh, I can relate. Like as I'm going through a couple of my sites, even niche site project, when I look back at some of the early posts, like it's just a mess. And across my <laughs> multiple sites, I have you know upward, oh, well over a thousand like pieces of content. So I'm like, okay, what what do I need to work on here? <laughs> It's kind of hard to decipher yeah. everything, but interesting. Okay. Now you mentioned you have like, uh, you know, the service of writers that, that you're, or the services that you use, you have, um, it sounds like a site manager. So do you have any full-time folks that work with you or is it all like part-time freelancers? How, how's your team look? Yeah, I have uh, five full-time VAs right now that, that handle a lot of things. So, uh, one does just graphics so when I talk about creating custom illustrations and charts and all that sort of thing, that's what he does. He does a really nice job. So he, sometimes we get three done a week, sometimes one a week. Yeah, it depends on the, on the size of it. And then I have one who manages the other four, uh, as well as the content coming in. And then I have uh, three others who just help with optimizing images, uh, fixing up older content, um, doing a big project right now, updating some older articles or more image focused. So it's a lot of managing the images rather than the text. So they're, they're doing that right now. Gotcha. And how did the team like grow over time? I assume when you, you know, first transitioned over, it's probably just you. So <laughs> how, how did the trajectory look? Yeah, it was just me for quite a while. Uh, I, the person who met who manages right now, she was the first person I hired. I got really lucky with her. Like, I didn't know what you know. I just I think she was one of the first applicants and sounded like she she could do it. And I've worked now with her for uh, three or four years, and uh, she's great. And so, um, yeah, I, I just slowly over. I used to have more employed. Uh, it, sometimes I have a huge project that might take three months, so I'll ramp up, I'll hire. But I tell them up front, you know, this is a this is a one-up project. The position is going to end, you know, roughly around so and so. 
Um, but right now, I think uh, we've got you know ongoing work for for five right now. Um, I don't know. It just sort of just sort of happened. Just keep hiring people, and as the projects came along, yeah. Okay. I, I may scale down again in the future. Kind of depends on my need, uh, needs. I may scale up and just sort of see how it goes uh, on a I won't say month by month basis, but maybe yearly basis. Gotcha. And do you have any tips for people who are on the cusp of like maybe hiring someone or they're not sure if they should? Any tips? Yeah, one thing I found out is um, as part of the hiring process is I'll actually send them assignments, actual real assignments similar to what they would be doing. I, I tell them I'll pay them for their time if I'm going to use the work because I don't want to just get a bunch of free work from people. Uh, so I'll do that and I'll maybe shortlist uh, anywhere from five to seven and, and let them actually execute the projects. I tell them to track their time so I know what I pay them, but I also use that time tracking so I can see how quickly they get the work done and match it to how well it was done. So that I know it adds a three or four days to the hiring process, and, and I know when you want to hire someone, you want them like hired instantly. But I found that actually just taking that extra time and, and doing that has helped find good people. Uh, that was particularly useful with the guy who I hired for graphics because I had seven people. Uh, actually do some graphic projects and the range in quality and how quickly they could do it was huge and there was one standout and fortunately he accepted the job so yeah it makes a big difference gotcha you sound like a pretty good manager and maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit <laughs> no <laughs> no i'm not really not i don't like it either but uh, in terms of hiring you know I, I used to do shortcuts i used to not not just take the time to and, and it resulted in in some some bad hires um, lately though well now now I've got to the point that this is actually great because my project manager who's been with me for three four she now does all the hire uh, which is great so she posts the ad, she posts the ads she vets them all so I'm no longer doing it which I really like because because hiring is a um, not a not a fun process uh, it's hard it's you know you know what i think i think the stuff that i don't like doing is often when it's when there's uncertainty about it and it's like i don't know if you're going to hire the right person it's really a crapshoot and i think every business will tell you that and you just don't know it's like you're going to hire them you're going to train them which is a ton of work and then and then you're going to pay them and it doesn't work out and it's really frustrating and this can happen over and over and over and in fact the last round that we hired I, I think she hired a total of six or seven people and and three stayed on um, so you know it's it's a frustrating process yep and that you know what that I, we're like paralleling quite a bit here like I have been training one of my VAs um, to hire folks on Pinterest, create the job posting, do all, like all the things. And I don't do anything. It's great. And it's, she's learning, right? The VA that's hiring folks, she's learning. So it's like more interesting work for her. She's building skills. Like she hadn't done these pieces. She hadn't fired anyone before. So I had to teach her how to fire someone in a proper way, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Uh. Yeah, so like it runs the, the full spectrum, and yeah, like it sounds like you got a great um, you know assistant doing the PM work and all the HR garbage that you know you don't want to do. So, okay, let's uh, let's move on to some mistakes. So it sounds like you've had like a rich career <laughs> in this online space. Have you made any like? awful blunders um, that you could share and hopefully we could learn something from and I didn't prep you ahead of time so if we need to come back to it that is totally okay um, and I'll just mention one of my big mistakes was just like underestimating uh, a Google penalty so back in the day when I got started there were I mean everyone was talking about private blog networks and a lot of other <laughs> link building yeah. things so um, in fact, I learned a lot from uh, like Smart Passive Income and Pat Flynn, and even Pat Flynn was building like link pyramids and link wheels and hiring you know folks to spin articles and kind of crazy stuff, which seems just insane now, considering where Pat is. But anyway, I got tangled up in that stuff, and I got penalized a few times until I was like, all right, I've had enough. Like I, I just don't want to work with that sort of area anymore. Like you said. It's, 
maybe slightly unethical in certain ways. So anyway, any big mistakes out there, John? <laughs> well, yeah, if we're talking about way back in the, in the good old days of SEO, uh, yeah, I mean, I got I got penalized big time. Well, I knew right away. I knew I knew right away that was it. Like the the, the SEO has changed forever. And I recognize that I completely shifted gear. That was that was 2012 when, when the first penguin dropped. So, uh, yeah, I'll never forget. I mean, we were all doing, well, I shouldn't say we all were, but a lot of people were doing, you know, just like you said, the, the article spinning, the software. The, I mean, it was it was just ridiculous. It's like, in, in a lot of ways, it was cool though. <laughs> I have to say because, I mean, ranking was pretty easy with a lot less competition, and I mean, it, it was it was pretty cool. I mean, ranked for a lot of crazy stuff back then. Uh, but anyways, that party came to a screeching halt. Um, so, but do I? Do I call that a mistake? No, because I think that was the industry norm back in the day. And do I, if I have one regret about all that is, is I think sometimes, imagine if I had started like a really, really good site way back then and, and just slow, you know, took, took the tortoise route and kept growing it where it would be now. But you know, I, I took shortcuts and I did, I did the link building stuff. Um, but I think a lot of big sites today also did, and they, they somehow come through it all and survived. Uh, so, I mean, I, I have a couple of sites that made it through. I, I just didn't happen to do a whole lot of, and, and they're good sites. So, um, so I don't really regret it, but I wish I'd started a good site. Before I started a good site in 2014, I've grown since then. Um, I, I regret a mistake is I didn't take advantage of the free Facebook traffic a whole lot more when that was going because that that came about right after the uh, the the first penguin. I mean after that it's like everyone is jumping onto Facebook and the free traffic and getting getting fans and then get I mean the free traffic was incredible. Like it was just I couldn't post fast enough every day. I was like one an hour for 24 hours. It was just this like massive stream and uh that was great i wish i had done a lot more of that i wish i'd set up like 20 pages and just totally gone after that um but that came to an end as well um in terms of what i'm doing these days uh, you know sometimes i think it's a mistake to, to run as many sites as i'm doing uh some weeks i think you know maybe sell them or put them on the on the, on the back burner um maybe it's i'm spread too thin and I think probably it's true, but they are serving a good purpose because I get to do a lot of testing on them. And that's proved really helpful. So even though they're not growing as fast as I would like, uh, just because I don't have the time or the money to invest in them, uh, the fact that I do have 10,000 visitors a day to testing sites, I can do some pretty cool stuff in there. And I don't, I don't really care. Like if I if if, it, if uh, an ad network proves to be really bad or I get bad results for a week, um, it's, it's we're not talking a tremendous amount of money. The the results are, are valuable enough that I can make better decisions going forward. So, um, yeah, but I, there are weeks I think, you know, maybe I should just dump everything and focus on one or two projects. Uh, and that's probably pretty sound advice, but we'll see what I do. Very good. So, and, and I'm just I'm just thinking, I'm like, I mean, if you could hire like a, a semi-pro, semi-qualified or very qualified person to come on and like manage the other sites, I mean, like, would you bring on like a, a junior partner? I mean, I'm just, I, I don't want to get people sending you a bunch of stuff, but I'm like, it sounds like a full-time job to manage that. And then you could like crush it and grow like the other, the other site and just kind of like get some of the mental um, strain you know, just away. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's a good question, but yeah, just, I'm just like, Hey, you could, I mean, you have enough revenue. You could bring someone on, they could learn in an apprentice sort of situation. Yeah. Well, actually, um, my project manager is able to handle all with the, with the content side. It's not that, but you know, I do have to, you know, they're, they're, it's funny, you think, well, I, you know, I could, I mean, I really don't pay a lot of attention to those sites and use them for testing, but sometimes they do require my attention and it is a bit of a distraction. Uh, it's also, um, I, I'd say the bigger issue is being able to finance content for eight sites versus two. That's a huge difference in terms of the monthly spend. And I've, I've spent a fair amount in certain months really loading up a bunch of sites. 
Um, the question is, is whether that money can be used in better ways. And sometimes I think definitely yes, but I've managed to grow a couple of them too. I mean, they're not huge sites, but I've grown them to where it's like, oh, that, that's great. I'm, I'm pretty happy I have those sites. And so, you know, I keep plugging away at it. Um, so it really comes down to, you know, to keep them, to keep trying to grow them. It, it, it takes a lot of money every month. They are profitable, which is great. So I don't really need someone to come on board to like actually take over an entire site and manage it at this point, but maybe down the road. I don't know. I'll see. Uh, anyways, these are these are sort of the things that go through the, my mind weekly. Some weeks I'm like, yeah, I'm going to tackle all nine sites. Other weeks I'm like, I just want to focus on this one. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. What gives you the confidence to spend the money? Um, I'm doing a case study right now where I'm, I'm laying out a fairly significant amount of cash, a lot for content, and I don't know if it's going to be successful, but I've done this a couple of times, so I kind of have an idea like, hey, this will be interesting, even if it doesn't work out. So what gives you the confidence to like invest in those sites that aren't you know, doing like a huge amount of revenue um, just over time? How do you do it? Because I, I believe they have potential. And it, um, I'm in a good position where I can be patient. Uh, four years ago, I wasn't patient, but I can be now. And so, you, you know, you look at the ROI of these websites. Let, let's say I put, you know, 300 a month into a site. Let's call it 3,500 a year. And I do that for five years. What is that? 18,000 bucks, let's say, investment. But if that site's even earning $2,000 a month with a sale value, that's that's a very good return on the investment. And that's fairly slow growth. I mean, that's five years. So I think, you know, I believe, I mean, I, I've seen the, the tremendous return on investment with this. So, so I definitely look at it that way. Uh, the sites that I do keep around, I see that there's potential. It's a niche I think has potential. It's a niche that I like. I tend to choose niches I have an interest in. And so uh, it's something I'll, I'll continue working on and, and want to continue working on. It's just sometimes, you know, some months I just don't really have the time to really go at it, hammer and tongs. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the return on investment potential is always good. Uh, the thing is, the, the, the bigger part of the question, though, is we're always going to buy content that is that is going to lose us money uh, because not every piece is going to be a winner. But I think once you've done it as long as we both have and we've ordered and published so much content, the winners are going to make up for the losers. And that's the goal. And you just hope that that keeps happening more and more. And so that, that's why... I, take the gamble and, and buy all the content. Awesome. Very well said. Again, I, I think um, I run across folks that try to calculate the ROI per article sometimes to justify the spend. And I, I see where they're coming from, but um, when you average it out, right, you're going to have some big winners that you didn't even think we're going to show up, you know, and then it makes up for the, the difference. So do you run those sort of numbers where you're like each article is worth X amount and then, yeah, well, you're laughing. So, yeah, yeah, I do sometimes more, more just because I think it makes for interesting content for fat stacks, but then I'll do it and I'll actually find it really super helpful in terms of seeing where I'm at. Uh, one number that I came up with, what I thought was really interesting, was sort of an average page views per month I needed to break even. I, I assumed an average cost per article and then, you know, revenue per thousand and then how many page views I needed. And that was an interesting benchmark. And then I could look in Google Analytics and see, well, how many articles out of the 3,300 are actually hitting that number of page views per month? And it wasn't even 50%. Right? It was smaller than 50%. So, so you know, really like less than half of my articles are actually really generating any kind of decent revenue or profits. Um, but the ones that do, they're, they're doing it quite well. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think that kind of stuff is, is pretty interesting, but I, I don't do it all 
all that often. I, I just do it once in a while. I'll do a big analysis just kind of for fun and, and, and check it out. Um, I, I'm not a real close tracker. I don't track a lot of stuff. It's probably to my detriment for sure. Just I couldn't be bothered to. I'm not really a super technical or analytical person. I'm kind of a big picture, just sort of let's just rip that stuff out and just see what happens and let the chips fall as they may and, and hope for the best. And uh, I'm, I'm doing my best and I'm based on what's worked and uh, and see what happens. Very cool. And I think like you, you came back to a point that I think is really critical. Like you, you have data to look at on the other side. So a lot of times people, I mean, every, we need to do this, right? You have to make an assumption, do something, get the feedback, do the feedback loop. So you have data where you could check and you're like, oh, it looks like we have a 50% or 500 hit rate here. And we can just um, assume that moving forward. Like I said, you have enough data where you can actually like make some real conclusions out there. So very cool. Well, John, this has been awesome. I know um, like the audience is going to love it. I'll put links for all your stuff out there, but where, where's the number one place you want people to find you? My blog, fatstacksblog.com. Awesome. Well, you have a great day there. Really appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me, Doug. It was fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, of course, to John. And it's always good to talk to him, even if I didn't actually talk to him in in this uh, instance. But he always has a lot of informative and actionable stuff to talk about. I'm going to plug his courses here. I'm an affiliate for his courses, so I get a commission if you do sign up. But I have promoted them for a while, and people love them. People love the courses. So I'm just going to run through them real quick. I'm not going to give a huge sales pitch, but I'll just mention them here so you can check them out if you are interested and there are links in the description. There's a long tail deep dive course and it's the ultimate guide to finding low competition long tail keywords. He has the display ads deep dive, the ultimate guide to monetizing niche sites and blogs with display ads like AdSense and other networks. He has the natural link building formula. Learn how to publish content that attracts links to your sites from great websites naturally. Niche insp- exponential, exponential, and it's the guide to large recurring affiliate commissions from smallish sites. He has an on-site SEO deep dive, so that's how he handles his on-site SEO content structure. And sorry, let me read this properly. My on-site SEO and content structure guide for search traffic. Content site autopilot. And this is a guide for hands-on to hands-free revenue generating content sites. And the Pinterest magnet, that's the one I mentioned before. And the freelance writing deep dive course. And he says, how to make 100,000 per year or more by writing for the internet. So pretty cool um, set of courses there and I do encourage you to check them out. And I'm gonna tell you about a couple episodes that are coming up here soon. So a while back, I asked people to fill out a survey for their non-success stories. I do get emails occasionally, probably one to two per week, where someone says, hey Doug, I follow your stuff, and it's been helpful. And now I'm earning X amount per month, maybe a few hundred, maybe a few thousand. Maybe they just made their first sale and they've been dabbling for years. But I I hear success stories all the time. But you don't really hear about the pre-success stories. So that's what I sent a survey out for. And I got over 30 responses, which is pretty cool. And people shared a lot. So their struggles, things that they know that they need to work on, things that they realize they shouldn't have wasted time on. And I have a blog post that sort of outlines the high-level points. There's some broad areas that people seem to have an issue with often, and you can learn from those. I think generally, as long as people stick with it for a little while and they don't jump around too much, if they're a little bit stubborn, they will figure it out. They will figure it out, but I will be sharing the non-success stories. I will tell you about those broad strokes 
uh, you know, just areas that people are often caught off guard by and give you some tips on how to avoid those. Or if you're in those situations, you can just calm down. It's going to be cool. You're going to come out the other side and it's probably going to be just fine. So that that's coming up. And speaking of those success stories, I did have a few people email me recently. I know Ashley was out there and gosh, I can't remember some of the other folks' names, but actually, if you do have a success story, especially if you are not yet making $1,000 per month, those by far are the most popular. Sometimes I will cover them like I did a few weeks ago with Anthony and do a basic email interview. And then I will share the answers. There's not as, not as pure, not as awesome as having someone live, but sometimes with time zones and scheduling, it's not always possible. So some of them may be text-based, but as, as many as I can do, I'm actually going to do live interviews like with Ashley coming up and got a few other cool ones too. So I launched a course, multi-profit site a few weeks back and the dust has settled a little bit. I haven't shared much about like me selling courses, me creating courses, but I was thinking about it the other day. I've actually done five different, actually six now with multi-profit site, but different iterations and launched several courses. Usually the first launch is not super awesome and you learn a lot when things come, you know, come uh, not due. But once you finish, that's a better way to say it. Once you finish, you realize that you could have done things better. It's really easy to overanalyze before you even get started. And sometimes you just got to launch, launch, launch the damn thing and see how it turns out and you can adjust later. So I'll be sharing some details and I actually need to check with uh, the, the folks that I partnered with, Internet Marketing Gold, that crew and see how much I can share. Courses are great. I do love them. And I'm hoping to, to shift a little bit. It's funny, I mentioned John's courses um, earlier, but it's a great way to you know earn and diversify income. From, from my standpoint, I encourage people to do the same. I like teaching stuff too. So that's also one of the pros. And last, last mention here, I'm hoping, I'm not, I'm not even, it's not, it's not set yet, but a good friend of mine, Lewis Ogden, has restarted his blog. And I didn't check with him before I started talking about this. So hopefully it's fine. But he's restarted his blog, Cloud Income. He and I sort of came up around the same time. I started uh, Niche Light Project in 2013. I think he was a few months or maybe even up to a year ahead of me. And he was blogging pretty actively for a while. He and I were in a mastermind group and we actually worked together on a course way back in the day, one of my early courses. Basically, he's been working, heads down, doing doing stuff. He's been focusing on other areas. And finally, after a little bit of a break of a few years, he's blogging again and it's pretty awesome. So I will be hopefully interviewing him soon. He has been doing as I said, cool stuff. So there's always good things to hear when people are taking action and and doing things. So really looking forward to having Lewis on soon. Oh, and I just remembered one more. Christy, who was a student of Five Figure Niche Site. She lived up in Bozeman. So we were able to see each other and like work uh, like at the same table. We would go have coffee and talk about how her sites uh, were going. And basically... She started her site at the end of 2018. She's still trucking along. And I was, you know, worried when the commission rate change came through in April of 2020. I thought this is going to be pretty rough. And crazy enough, Christy emailed me. Her earnings are about the same and maybe creeping up a little bit with roughly the same amount of traffic. So things are going well for Christy and some people are just not as impacted as others, depending on how they balance their their, uh, sort of revenue streams and that sort of thing. So definitely some cool interviews coming up. And I just remembered one more and then I'll shut up and get out of here. I, I was focusing on financial independence topics as well. So I was mixing those in. I talked to Carl 
Jensen, Mindy Jensen. I had um, Cody Berman and Julie Berninger. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. And it was very cool because I did hear from several people in the audience that said, I love the FI, the financial independence topics. I think about this stuff all the time. I follow side hustles and I follow, you know, not frugality necessarily, but I'm interested in retiring early and just like living on my own terms. So we have all these so similar ideas. And basically when COVID-19 came down, a lot of the financial independence folks, I listened to their podcast, right? A lot of those people just sort of went to sort of a model where they were talking about current events. They weren't really creating evergreen content. They were focused on other areas. And, you know, for me, it was a good point in time to just sort of pause and not do as many interviews, even though people seem to be at home all the time. But I'm looking to kick that back off and have, you know, I'm not sure how much content in that area, but I think it could be very interesting. And since I, I live in Longmont, Colorado, there's a lot of financially independent folks that just, they're in my network. They're, they're around here. And I know several folks. So it's pretty cool. Pretty fun. All right. Have a good day out there and we'll catch you on the next episode.